Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 11, on page 553, if you're using the ESV Pew Bibles. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes, and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises, and the sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Well, that was encouraging. Let me encourage you to be there in that text, Ecclesiastes, and we read this book, some of you think, two questions come to your mind, number one, why is that book in the Bible, and number two, Jeremy, why are you choosing a sermon series on it? Um, well, we have 10 messages planned, um, not very long sermon series, uh, partly is because it's probably all we could handle emotionally going through this book here. It is a notoriously difficult book, okay? But I think and we believe it has great uh, benefit for us if we have an understanding of what the book is about and the purpose of it there. Um, I'm going to give you a few little background, a uh, little background information here before we dive into the, the sermon, though. But uh, I just wanted to, to let you know that, as I said, it is a difficult book. And so I've been reading lots of books on Ecclesiastes and studying it for some time now. And uh, one of, here's some of my favorite quotes here. Luther says, this book is one of the more difficult books in all Scripture, on which no one has ever completely mastered. So thanks, Luther. Appreciate that. Um, so another commentary said, 2,000 years of interpretation have utterly failed to solve the enigma. Okay. And then I think my, my most favorite one uh, said this, Ecclesiastes is a lot like an octopus. Just when you think you have all the tentacles under control, that is, you understood the book, there's one waving about in the air. 
Okay, so it is a little difficult book, right? You, you read something, you're like, okay, I think I'm tracking with you. And then, you know, I like how Pastor Michael put it. It starts depressing and goes downhill from there. So, yeah, it, it is a, a challenge here, but there's a reason for this, okay? So, uh, I think in your handouts there, if you have a handout, you, you have a few, like, things like genre or whatever, important words and things like that. This, to get a running start here... Um, this falls into what is called wisdom literature, okay? And so when we're studying the Bible, there's, you know, one of the things you need to know about the Bible is that it's not just one book. It's actually 66 books, and it's a compilation, okay? And there's different types of literature within the Bible, and so that means uh, we interpret them differently, or we understand uh, how, what the author's trying to say uh, by the means by which he is writing the book, okay? And so, uh, for instance, if there's a historical narrative and someone's just telling the story of history, well, that's going to be different than how we're going to interpret it than, let's say, like the Gospels or something. Then we have poetry and we have uh, what's called wisdom literature here. Now, it depends on who you, you know, which uh, scholars you look at. Some people will say that there's three books in the wisdom literature. Some people will say that there's five in the Old Testament. I lean more towards the three, um, and those three would be, um, we would have Job, we'd have uh, Ecclesiastes, and then we'd have Proverbs. Those would be the wisdom literature. We have a couple of other poetry books that are often, Song of Solomon, and Psalms that are listed in that list as well sometimes. But the reason why I share that with you is because it's important that we understand that what is being written is not necessarily about a huge nation, which that's often what we see in literature. But rather, these books, these wisdom literature books, are for individuals and expressing the highs and lows of an individual's life, okay? And so, that's, that, that's the kind of the context. So, we understand, okay, so this is a wisdom book, and so there's a reason why it's written the way it's written, okay? So, it's, it's trying to get us to, to understand how to apply things in an individual life scenario. So, who wrote the book? Okay, we actually have a picture of the author, okay, um, all right, okay, okay, no, not really, right, okay, not really, okay, the, 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 if you look at verse 1, it says the words of the preacher, okay, some of you may have a note down in your Bibles, whatever, and it's actually Koheles, okay, that's what the word means there, Koheles. Okay, so this was translated in our ESV as preacher. Some translations may have something different. This is actually a title, okay? So it has the idea of a collector or a leader of an assembly, a teacher, a preacher, a convener. Okay, so, so that's what it is. A, so when we say the words of the preacher, it's really uh, a title. And in and, and, and some ways, uh, I, I think philosopher would even be better. Okay, because here's the thing you need to know about Ecclesiastes as we're trying to get this running start, okay, is that the book is designed really to raise more questions than it gives answers to. It's a call to ponder. It's a call to think. It's a call to look deep inside and consider your own life. And so it's the idea of we know that the Bible has good news in it, but we won't be ready to receive the good news or fully understand the good news until we understand the stark reality of life. That's what Ecclesiastes is for. It's so that we can understand the stark reality of life. Now, you say, okay, so who is this Kohelis? Who is the preacher here? Well, scholarship has gone back and forth on whether Solomon is the author. 
If you look at it, it says the son of David, king of Jerusalem. Most people say, okay, it's Solomon. And then you're looking at all the different uh, examples that are given uh, in there about the wealth and all the things that they experience. Most people would say, you know, for a long time, that Solomon was the author. I kind of lean towards him being the author, but there's good arguments made that he's not the author. I won't get into all of that because, you know, a discussion on authorship and the ins and outs of it uh, isn't that gripping, okay? All right. But I will say that um, I am definitely, I I might have a slight lean towards Solomon being the author. I definitely would not take a bullet for it, though. So, but I'll probably, throughout the sermon series, refer to Solomon. Excuse me, but understand that it, it may have been someone else. Um, I'll refer to him Solomon because of, not necessarily because of my leaning. It's just easier to say than Koheleth. So that's the reason why. Okay, so this is written from a perspective of someone who has climbed the mountain of life. Okay, so if it wasn't Solomon, it's someone who's pretending to be Solomon, not in a deceitful way, but it was just a, a form of literature in ancient Near East. Near East. And so it was from someone who climbed the mountain of life and has all the experiences that most people could only dream of experiencing. So, again, here's some background information. This is the first sermon, so we've got to get these things down here before we dive in, okay? So the important words that you're going to need to know if we're going to understand this is this idea of vanity of vanities, okay? Some people uh, have it translated meaningless, or others is vapor, the, the Hebrew word there is hevel, okay, H-E-B-E-L or H-E-V-E-L, depending on how, uh, what, what version. This means vapor, breath, vanity. The idea is temporary or passing. It, it's like smoke or a cloud, that it can be easily and quickly and permanently swept or whisked away. Okay, that's what it's saying. So when you look at verse 2, vanity, vanity, says the preacher, all this vanities. He, he's saying, this is Havel. All is Havel. Okay, and this idea of this, that it's like a vapor. It, and it just, it's here and then it goes away. Okay, so it, it's not, this is why I shy away from the term meaningless or even vanity. And, and I'll use the word vapor more. is because I believe that captures Havel much in a better way is that it's here, but it's gone quickly, and it's gone permanently, and it's, and it's forever gone. So we need to understand Havel, we need to understand this idea of vanity or, or vapor, and if we're going to understand this book. And then there's one other term here, and that is in verse 3, what does a man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? That phrase, under the sun, in related terms, is going to come about 30 times in, the, in 12 chapters, Okay. It's very important for us to understand that this is the reason why Kohalath or Solomon, whoever the author is, is coming back and he's saying that this is life under the sun. And so this is one of the most important phrases to understand if we're going to properly interpret the book is that the arena in which the author is writing here is he's saying, I'm, ta- I'm describing life underneath the sun, okay? Not where God reigns. I'm talking about just life on earth. I'm talking about, you know, if you, if you could separate God from here, that's what we're describing here. Once we understand these two key terms, vapor, havel, under the sun, then we can get a, a much better idea of how to uh, uh, properly interpret and apply this book. So we could say it this way, all of life uh, uh, on earth without God, okay, under the sun, is like a vapor, havel. Okay, so all of life 
on earth without God is like a vapor. That's what he's getting at here in these first couple verses. So you say, well, what is he talking about here? Well, he gives some, il- uh, 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 some illustrations here. What is vapor? I just put these up here. Don't even attempt to write all these down. It's just so you can see the magnitude of it. This is like your hot breath on a cold day that disappears into the air. What does is, what is Kohelis, what does Solomon say to this? Every effort, all the fruits of our labors, pleasure, life, youth, success, wealth, desire, frivolity, popularity, injustice, all future events. And then if that's not enough, he says everything is like this. It just vanishes away. It's like vapor. Okay? So that gives us a running start. Where are we going to go today? Well, here's a statement for you here. The bland reality of life summons us to ponder a crucial question that only Jesus can answer. Okay? The bland reality of life summons us to ponder a crucial question that only Jesus can answer. I'm going to pause and ask God's blessing. We got this introductory kind of out of the way here, and now we're going to dive into this. And I've got a lot of ground to cover, and I'm going to try to go through it quickly uh, if possible. So, but let's pause and ask God's, God's guidance. Father, thank you for this book. Uh, we laugh about it, and honestly, it's... It's difficult. Um, there are times where I think I, I totally have it understood, and then you read another passage, and you're like, oh, how does that fit in? And so as we go through this sermon series here over the next you know, 10 weeks or so, Lord, we do pray that we would have a better understanding of this book and why it's important. This book was, was included in the Scriptures for a reason. You wanted us to study it. You wanted us to have it. And so, God, we just ask for your, your guidance as we go through this. For it's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen. Amen. All right, the bland reality of life summons us to ponder a crucial question that only Jesus can answer. Let's start by talking about this bland reality of life. I don't know if when Jim was reading this text for you, if you noticed in verse 5 and following, or even verse 4, it just talks about how life is primarily repetitious. I don't know if you noticed that. There's nature's illustrations there. He gives these things, this idea of this, the sun. He says in, in verse uh, 5, the sun rises, the sun goes down, and hastens to place where it rises. The sun comes up, and it goes down. Now, we understand that the earth is revolving. We, we, we all get that, okay? You know, so if some of you are science people right now going, now, wait a minute here. Okay, you get the point, okay? Sun goes up, sun comes down. Sun comes up, sun comes down. And we love it. You know, we, we love to see a sunrise. We love to see a sunset. And then, what does it do? It sets so it can rise again. And it rises so it can set. And then it rises and sets over and over and over again. What about the wind? He says, the wind, it blows to the south, verse 6, and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuit, the wind returns. Wind comes, goes around, comes back, comes back, goes around and around. That's what the wind does. It just goes in circles. That's what it does. Around and around and around. And then he talks about water. Verse 7, all streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. You get the idea of the Solomon or Solomon-like figure. He's meditating. He's thinking on this. And he's thinking, wait a minute here. There's this river that flows. 
And it just keeps going and going into the sea. Maybe he had the Dead Sea in mind. I don't know. And it just flows in and flows in. And yet, the sea is never full. It just keeps coming. And, and the water keeps going, and it keeps going. I mean, we think of, you know, in our, uh, in our country, you got the, the mighty Mississippi River. flows south into the Gulf and into the, the ocean. But it doesn't, the ocean doesn't rise because it's not like, man, this river's been flowing for many years now. This, this ocean's like, go, you know, it's going to go over the banks. It just it keeps working. It keeps dumping into it. And yet, the sea's never full. What's the point? Well, it's vapor, right? So he has these illustrations that, that, you know, life is primarily repetitious. As the river just keeps going, it just keeps going. The wind keeps blowing. The sun keeps rising. It keeps setting. That's really what life is in a natural sense. But what about even our own experiences? We mow the grass, only to do it again and again and again. <laughs> you know? We do dishes. Only to dry them and put them away. And then, the next morning, there's more. Right? Uh, laundry. Okay? Right? We, we wash the clothes, we fold them, we put them away. And, you know, I remember being a college student, going through the phase of, why bother? <laughs> I mean, I went to a conservative school where I had a dress code to follow. Khaki pants or blue pants? All right. I got two pairs of pants. Why bother washing them? Okay. You know, just, you're just going to wear them again. Making your bed. You're just going to get in it again, right? You know? Okay. Now, some of you parents are glaring at me right now <laughs> because you have had this conversation with your teenager, okay? Okay. All right. It does matter, okay? You need to make your bed, okay? Okay. So any, anyone out there that's like, okay, what did you learn from church today? You don't have to make your bed. Okay. You missed the point of the sermon, okay, if that's what you walk away with. But the point is, is that life is pretty much repetitious. And when we get up, we go to work, we work for a bit, we eat some lunch, we do some more work, we go home, we play with the kids for a bit, we have dinner, maybe we get some projects done, watch some TV, we go to bed, then we get up, we go to work, we work for a bit, we eat some lunch, we do some more, go home, we play for a bit with the kids, have some dinner, get some projects done, watch some TV, go to bed, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. I mean, if you think about your life, you think about the rhythms of life, life is primarily repetitious. I mean, there's some certain things here and there, the things that happen, but primarily life is repetitious. And that's what, that's what the author here is saying. He's saying, he's sitting there musing, he's sitting here thinking, and he's saying, this is the same thing over and over again. Over and over again. Havel. Life is it's like a vapor. Not only is it uh, primarily repetitious, but life is mostly forgettable. Verse 4, a, a generation goes and generation comes, but the earth remains forever. I mean, people come and people go. People live and people die. We don't remember them. I mean, it, it, I've done this illustration, I think, here before. I know I've done it in different things I've taught on. It's like, listen, you know, if you tell me your dad's name, you can give me your dad's name, your grandfather's name, your great-grandparent's name. Now we're starting to get into, like, uh, I think I know. Could you give the full name of your great-grandparents? What about the great-great-grandparents? Now, I did this once, and someone was like, well, I'm the eighth. You know, okay, okay, all right, yes, if, so you could, all right, okay, yes, you could, all right. But for most of us, 
even the people we're related to, we don't know much about. Just a few generations before. A generation comes, a generation goes. Yeah, I, I think of in Les Mis, um, there's a scene there, <laughs> and uh, they're, 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 in a, they're getting ready to fight, and the, it's the French Revolution, and they're getting ready to fight and everything. There's a young boy there, a young teenage guy, kind of maybe in his young 20s or whatever. And basically, he's like, you know, I'm going to go, and I'm going to fight, and, and is anyone going to remember me when, if I die? Health here would be like, nope. <laughs> you know? I mean, you know, this is really what he's getting at. Life is, is mainly forgettable here. People come and go with no monuments made to them. They live their life and they die and then that's it. And, and the people that we do make monuments to, they're often forgotten pretty quickly as well. I, I, I love walking downtown cities and, you know, you know, I, you know go downtown Detroit or something like that where I grew up. And then you, you see all these, you know, statues and things like this. And there's people, I don't even know who they are. But at one point they made a statue to them. And now people don't really know who they are. Okay. I mean, even celebrities that are household names today will be unknown to your grandchildren. Uh, when I was a teenager, University, University of Michigan had a great basketball team. They started five freshmen. It was called the Fab Five. You know, some of you will remember this and things like this. But I wonder, you know, I, as someone who grew up there, yeah, of course, I could name all five of them. But there was a time where everyone in the nation, if you were following basketball, college basketball at all, you knew who these Fab Five were. Maybe you could get one or two now. Or, or let's move away from, from basketball or sports. Let's go to the realm of music. You have the Beatles. You remember John Lennon said that they were more popular than Jesus. You know, anyone, I wonder, anyone under 35 years old, could they name all four members of the Beatles? Would they even know that there were only four members of the Beatles? You see, the point is, is that people come and people go. And even the people that we uh, hold up to in just a matter of a few years they're forgotten. Life is mostly forgettable because, as he says in verse 9 and 10, he says, nothing is new. What has been will be, and what has been done is what will be done. He says there, and is there's nothing new under the sun. Is there, is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new. It is already in the ages before us. You see, life is mostly forgettable because nothing is really new. Now, Solomon here, or Kohelis, does not mean that there are no new things invented here. Because maybe some of you are reading that, you're like, well, wait a minute here. What about, like, technological advances here? Now, you know, I mean, Simon, or excuse me, Simon, Solomon, if that was the author here, he did not write out Ecclesiastes on a MacBook Pro, okay? You know, and so, you know, things have changed and things have been invented. So you say, well, how does that happen? Well, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about that there's, there's even that uh, uh, of a computer or something like that is really just a different way of what has always been done. And, and so as we think about technological advances, we see that even at that, it's really nothing new because, you know, what is one author I read, he said this, what is a machine gun but a really sophisticated and really effective rock thrower, right? I mean, it, it does the same thing, but it just maybe does it better, but it does the same thing. You see, what he means here is that there's nothing new that we can ever discover that will completely satisfy us and it will meet all of our needs. The most critical million dollars to the millionaire is the next one. The most important deal for the businessman is the next one. When the Dallas Cowboys won a Super Bowl, so we're going back a ways here, okay, all right, all right, Tom Landry made this observation. He says the overwhelming emotion in a few days among the players on the Dallas Cowboys football team was how empty that goal was. There must be something more, end quote, is what he said. 
You know, even Nitschke, he says that all pleasure seeks eternity, a deep and profound eternity, right? Okay? And so it just shows that all the, the reason why I'm pointing this out is that there's this desire for something more, that there's nothing that satisfies here. And that's the point that Kohel, that's the point that the preacher, the teacher, the convener, the philosopher, possibly Solomon, is getting at here. In our own experiences, we cannot wait till we grow up, and we can't wait till we grow up and we get our driver's license so we can have that independence. And so we get the driver's license, but then we just can't wait till we get to college so we get the freedom, right? And so we can do what we want. And then we get to college and we think, I can't wait to get out of school so I don't have to worry about this and so I can get my career, I can start earning some money. So then you get to the career and you say, man, I cannot wait till I get the promotion. I can't wait till I get married and I have a family. And so you get married and you have a family and you say, I just can't wait till the kids are gone, okay? Right? Okay? All right? And then the kids are gone, and you say, man, I just wish the kids were here again. I can't wait for grandchildren. And then you're trying not to do that awkward conversation with your kids and things like that. And so finally you get grandchildren and all this stuff. And then you say, man, you know, I just can't wait to retire. And then you retire, and you say, I just can't wait to die, right? I mean, this is, this is, this is, this is the world that we live in, right? So there's nothing new that we can ever discover excuse me, that we can ever discover <clears throat> that completely satisfies us. That's what he's getting at here, this bland reality of life. So, now that you're thoroughly depressed, there is a crucial question to ponder here. That's what this brings up here. You see, verse 3, if we go back to verse 3, he's essentially asking, what is the point? What does, it, what does a man gain by all the toil which he toils under the sun? He's basically saying, okay, what's the point of all this? I, I've observed this. I've observed the repetition. I've, I've observed how this is mainly forgettable here. Hey, 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 what, what's the point here? Well, many people don't answer this question or don't have an answer to this question. They do live out a response. And there's really three main ways, and there's other ways that people do. But, you know, we have escapism. You know, people that deal with the mundane uh, part of life or just the bland reality of life, they just deal with escapism, and so it's a cycle. Maybe it's, it, it could be seen through something serious, through like drugs or alcohol, but it could also be something seemingly innocuous like just watching the game or activism or doing work or playing with the kids or vacations. And there's nothing wrong with distractions in life, and that's not the point. But when we use those things as an only way to escape the monotony of life, we're missing out. And we're just basically saying we don't know what the point of life is, and so we're just going to escape from it. So that's one way. Another way that people deal with this is called nihilism, meaning that life has no meaning or value. And so we just plot on from day to day until the next day, until the next day, until we die. I don't think anything here would claim to be a nihilist, but I wonder how many slip into practical nihilism from time to time. Like there's no meaning. Let's just go on one day after the next. I heard a boy who returned from his first day at kindergarten. His mom asked him, and he said, hey, did you have a good day? His response, I can't read, I can't write, and they won't let me talk, so what's the point? All right. How we, we approached life that way? Can't do this, can't do that, they won't let me do that, I don't know what the point is. Right? Nihilism. Or then there's the idea of hedonism, and that's the idea of, okay, all right, I'm just going to, there's really no point to life, so I'm just going to have as much fun as I can. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. So let's just have fun, right? I'll talk a little bit more about hedonism or hedonism uh, in the weeks to come because other texts will talk about that. So that raises a very important question. So we've talked about the bland reality of life. It's forgettable. 
is mainly repetitious. It raises the question, okay, what is the point then? Now, in this text, we don't get there. Because Solomon or Koheleth or whoever the author is, that's not his point. He wants you to wrestle with this question. He wants you to really uh, start to wonder, okay, how am I really viewing this life? Now, he will answer the question later on at the end of the book. And we're going to talk about that answer throughout it because we know some of it. But I just want to just pause for this just quick second here before I move on to the third and final point. I just want to pause here for a second. Just, I want you just to think about this here. This is the question that we really need to wrestle with. And this is what the, the author wants us to. He wants us to sit here for a minute and think, and this is why he doesn't give us the answer right away. Let's think, okay, why do I exist? My life is mainly repetitious. And I, I most likely will be forgotten. You know, one of the privileges I have is being a pastor here. And, you know, we have a list, and our church started in 1855. And we have a list of all the pastors, the lead pastors of the church in a hallway over there. And I often walk by it, and I see, and on the bottom, there's my name. It's a real honor that my name is on that list. I'm the 37th on that list, okay? But as I look at the list, I know the guy before me. I know a couple names up. But you know, it doesn't go very far before I have no idea about these people. And if I were to ask most people in this congregation, okay, how many of the 37 pastors could you name, right? Now, some of them had a, a two, you know, a couple of stints, you know. Um, I know our first pastor, Moses Rowling, okay? I joke our church is so old, Moses is its first pastor, okay? All right, all right. But you know, there's a lot of names on there that we just don't know. And it will only be a matter of a few years when I'm done. Whenever that time is, it will only be a matter of a short amount of time before people go, J.D. Scott, I wonder who that was. That's our life. We serve God, we die, and we're forgotten. Does that bother you? You see... Some of you right now, you find comfort in that reality. Others of you are getting kind of worked up about it. Well, wait a minute here. There's got to be more than that. Okay? All right. So let's go now to this last point. So the answer, this glorious answer that Jesus gives to this question here. Okay? And again, we're going we're gonna to move away from this text. The only reason why I thought about just ending the sermon here, because this is where the text ended, but there's a saying that I read a long time ago, and, and, and I really believe this, is that when, as a preacher, I never want to leave and let, send people away on flat tires, okay? You know, I, I want people to go away with the hope of the gospel, okay? So we're going there today, all right? So Jesus' glorious answer. How does he answer this question, what is the point? Well, first of all, through his incarnation, Okay, you see, one of the reasons why we can take real joy in this is when we look at Jesus as if after we've wrestled with this, after we've gone through this and say, okay, this is life under the sun. This is, this is, this is the reality of life, okay? This is what the stark 
uh, unvarnished reality of life that I'm dealing with here. Now we enter Jesus. So, so when you enter Jesus into this, now the incarnation seems so much greater. It's so much more wonderful. Because think about it this way. Jesus chose this bland, ordinary, repetitious life to enter and to embrace and to live out for the purpose of redemption. This is what he chose to do. He chose to enter this reality, this life under the sun, this heaven under the sun. Jesus says, I'm going there. I'm going there because there is a people that I want to redeem and give them purpose in their life. So no longer is life under the sun just heaven. It's something greater, more glorious. You see, that's when we see the incarnation of Jesus. It's like, oh, this is not just a cool story of a baby coming to earth. This is a wonderful reality. Remember I said that everything's pretty much repetitious in this life. There's nothing new. Remember, Kohalif or Solomon or whoever wrote this, he says there's nothing new. Jesus changed that. You see, what Jesus did was new. You see, Jesus accomplished what no one before or no one after could accomplish and could have achieved, and that is reconciliation with God. You see, no matter what we do, no matter what inventions we have, no matter how we progress as a civilization, we will never get any closer to God on our own. We'll never do it. But you enter Jesus. That's new. Now we got a path. Now we got a path. And it's through uh, trusting in Jesus Christ. And so the, the incarnation now all of a sudden takes just such a, a, a more wonderful uh, hue and color in our lives. The incarnation being when Jesus came and took on the form of a human and became human for us and lived this life here. And so not only is his work new, okay, but what was the other thing we said? We said that life under the sun is that it is, is repetitious. There's nothing new. But we said there was something else. We said that life, in, and this is what the author of Ecclesiastes says, it is forgotten, right? It's forgotten. But when Jesus, his work is not forgotten. His work is not forgotten. Hey, this is one of the reasons why we have the Lord's Supper, this is one of the reasons why you are sitting here today, because Jesus' work is not forgotten. So do you see how Jesus then, he totally takes these things and takes the life that is under the sun and he turns it through his incarnation. It's a beautiful reality. So not only in Jesus' glorious answer here is his incarnation, but it's what he does with us. And this is this idea of our union with Jesus Christ. You see, what Jesus does then is he transforms not only what he did, but he transforms even what we do. So all of a sudden, when we have our life in Christ, when our, when our, when our focus is in Christ, when, when we are joined with Christ, this is the idea of union with Christ, when we become part of Christ, this is the body of Christ, when, when God saves people and brings them into his family, it's called the body of Christ or the family of Christ. When we are entered into that union with Christ, then all of a sudden, the bland reality of life becomes gloriously good. I mean, this, this goes back to the dishes that we do over and over again. This goes back to the jobs that we have and the responsibilities that are on our plate. They take on new meaning. Mowing the lawn takes on a new perspective then. We see it through the image and the, or through the, the, the eyes and the, the vision of our union with Christ. Even things like giving someone a cup of water. Matthew chapter 10 says it matters. 
that when you give a cup of cold water to a disciple in the name of Jesus, it matters, according to Matthew 10. Cooking food and providing clothes and visiting the imprisoned become personal service to Jesus, according to Matthew 25. You see, Jesus says, when you did it to them, you did it to me. And Jesus, so he, not only does he transform what we do and gives it meaning, but then, in some ways, he even makes us remembered for all eternity. See, this is the change. We got, we got life under the sun, Hevel, is forgotten, there's nothing new. But in Christ, then all of a sudden, it's remembered. Re- remember the thief on the cross. What did the thief on the cross ask of Jesus? Remember me. And Jesus was like, you're going to be with me. Of course I'll remember you. Hey, that's that's an amazing concept. What, what the concept here that 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 the, the preacher is saying here, he's saying life under the sun is going to be forgotten. It's going to be done. But in Christ, for all eternity, Jesus says you're remembered. First Corinthians chapter eight. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. God knows us in Christ. Because of what Christ has done, because of our relationship with Him, you see, this is, this is how Christ transforms all of this. In Matthew chapter 26, we read a story about a woman who anointed Jesus' feet with very expensive perfume. And, and the disciples were saying, why did she do this? This was such a waste. This is such a waste of money. Such a waste. This is so expensive. And it was incredibly expensive. Most likely it was a family heirloom. Uh, this is how expensive it was. And so she breaks it. She anoints Jesus' feet over it. And they're kind of complaining. And they're saying, why did she do this? This is, this is a waste. This is meaningless. This is like a vapor, do you see? I mean, he's here, he's gone. That's the idea that they had about this. But what did Jesus say about that? He said this. He says, truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. It will be remembered. And years, thousands of years later, preachers just like myself keep talking about what she did. The disciples looked at it and said, oh, that's Havel in some ways. It was, it was a waste. It was a vapor. It was meaningless. But Jesus said, no, she did it to me. So it has meaning and it will be remembered. Do you see how Jesus transforms all this? It makes it so much, it makes it so beautiful. One other verse I'll share. 1 Corinthians 15. It says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that, you're, that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Do you want your life to mean something? It's not about your bank account. It's not about the accolades. It's not about the, the awards. It's not about the degrees. It's not about you know, the promotions. It's not about your family. You want your life to matter and be remembered. It is our work for the Lord. It's our relationship in Christ. Anything else? Havel, poof, it's gone. That's what Ecclesiastes is about. It's reorienting our thinking. So, don't you see? Our work under the sun is nothing new and nothing to be remembered, but our work in and through Jesus is very new and very significant and will be remembered and even rewarded. But here's, as I'm, as I'm circling the, the, the runway now, coming down for a landing, okay? So we're not, we're not in the descent yet, but we're circling, okay? Just so you know where we're at, okay? Okay, we're, we're making the initial descent here. I need to share two things about Jesus. First of all, he doesn't necessarily change our circumstances, but he does change our perspective and our motivation. 
Okay, so if we're looking at Jesus and saying, okay, I, I don't want this, you know, this life that's meaningless and forgotten and things like this, you know, this bland reality of life, I want something better than that, okay? I'm going to follow Jesus. Well, he, great. That's awesome. That's all, you know, I'm encouraging that. But here's where I'm going to give you a warning. That doesn't necessarily mean your circumstances change. You're still going to have to do dishes, okay? You're still going to have to make your bed, okay? You're still going to have to mow the lawn, Okay, you know, when you're out there and you say, okay, this time, you know, we haven't started mowing season yet, so the first time we go out there, I'm going to get out there, and I'm going to be different this year. From last year, it was all about just the toil of work. Okay, this year, I'm doing it for you, Jesus, and so I'm going to do this for you, and I mow the lawn, and I mow the lawn, and then you put the mower away, and, and you sell the mower, right? Because you're like, hey, I did it for Jesus, and all I have to do this again. And no, you're still going to have to mow the lawn again, okay? That's not what changes here. But what does change is your perspective and your motivation. Perspective in the sense that we don't have to live in the horror, to quote C.S. Lewis, the horror of the same old thing over and over again. Rather than loathing repetition, we actually embrace it as God's gracious gift to us. Rather than pursuing uh, because pursuing the pleasure of novelty is exhausting and elusive. And so that's one of the reasons why God gives us repetition. Because it's pursuing novelty over and over again is exhausting and elusive. So the next time you look at your calendar and you see the same thing over and over again, thank God for constancy and security that comes with Him giving you consistent handholds to hang on to as you scale life's mountain. But it's also motivation. He changes not just our perspective, but our motivation in the sense that what we do matters when we do it for Jesus. And so when we cook a meal, we do so knowing that we can do so in Jesus' name because we're caring for other people that God has put into our lives. When we uh, 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 arrive at work, do so with anticipation of what opportunities God will give you to grow closer to Him and honor Him. When we go to weed the garden again and again and again, do so as an opportunity to worship our Creator God. And the next time students you sit down in class for another lecture, ask God how He might use this to shape you into the design that He has for you. And so this is how Jesus has to answer this stark reality that Kohel's gives to us in Ecclesiastes. So this book is designed really to raise more questions than it gives answers, but it's a call to ponder, to think, to look deep inside and consider your life. We will not be able to receive the good news of Jesus unless we understand the stark reality of life. And so what Ecclesiastes does is it intends to deconstruct our expectations of life under the sun. It gives us this stark reality, and we're going to keep wading through it for the next nine weeks. But understand this, that Jesus gives a glorious answer to the fundamental questions about the point of life. And so, don't you see how Jesus gives purpose to even the mundane? And so, you have in your handouts, if you have a handout, there's questions for reflection. I don't have those on the screen here, but, you know, those are questions that you can think about. If you didn't get a handout, they're over on the welcome table. Those are some good things that would be helpful for you to think through as we start this series. In Ecclesiastes.